Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for March 1st, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon this morning is entitled, Two Are Better Than One. I want to tell you a story. When I was 25 years old, I got the opportunity to go to India for five weeks with Rotary International. Some of you have heard me tell some of my experiences in India. We spent five weeks there. I was not a Rotarian. I'm still not a Rotarian. But I went with this group study exchange. There were five of us. I was the only minister. There were several educators. Uh, Mostly everyone else was an educator, one accountant, and me. We spent five weeks, we stayed in homes. Rarely, I think out of the five weeks, we may have spent three nights in a hotel. But we went to people's homes, and so it was not uncommon for us to arrive in a city in India, and they would disperse us. Amy, you go with this family. Carol, you go with this family. Winnie, you go with this family, and on and on. We took a plane somewhere, and we arrived, and it was what we would call a puddle jumper. And if I'm going to be in a puddle jumper, I'd frankly rather be in the United States than on this Indian puddle jumper. I don't mean to cast poor things about the flight of Indians, but I didn't feel safe. I'm just going to say I didn't feel safe. And I had a terrible cold. I was so sick. And I was homesick. It's not even funny how homesick I was. I was miserably homesick. We had just been married a few years, and five weeks seemed like an eternity. We arrive in this little town, getting off this little puddle jumper of a plane, and they divided us up, and they sent the two other women with this one family, and the two men with another family, and me with this one man. I didn't like that. (laughs) And I knew that the culture was one that the women uh, or often walking behind the men or, or not gathered with the men. The women may be in the kitchen and here we were and they were treating us uh, like royalty and it was absolutely wonderful, but I knew this wasn't right. Everybody had a driver. And so the man that I went with had a driver and I knew that he would not have gotten in the back seat with an Indian woman, but he got in the back seat with me. I didn't feel good about that. I didn't like that at all. And I was really sick, and I was so homesick. We arrive at his house, and he takes me upstairs to the roof of his house where there's a separate room guarded by two Doberman Pinschers. I did not like that. (laughs) And he put me in the room, and I never saw another person that lived in that house for the rest of the time that I stayed there, which was one night. I was supposed to stay for a week. That was not going to do. As soon as we met back up with our group the next morning, I said, no, I'm not going back to that house. I do not want to stay there alone. Something is not right about this. Nothing happened. He took me out at night to a dinner. Uh, We were going to get dinner in the most crowded place I've ever been, and I became so aware that I was alone and that I didn't know how to pronounce his name, and I didn't know where we were staying, and I didn't know where anybody else was staying. I don't know when I have spent 
a more fearful 24 hours of my life for nothing to have happened. And I think the man was probably really nice. But when you get off an airplane and two are assigned and two are assigned and you don't get to go out two by two, when you read this text, you hear that story in your head and you say, I don't ever want to be alone. He sent them out two by two because it's simply not in anyone's best interest to be alone. We are made for partnership. We are made to be in community. Even the loner, even the introvert, even the shy, we are made to be in relationship. Two by two, a case for shared pastoral ministry is the title of Russ's doctoral dissertation. In the late 90s, when he had to pick a topic for his doctor of ministry, he decided that his project and research would be focused around developing a network of couples who were pastoring churches together or couples that desired to pastor churches together. His committee thought he was crazy. Nobody does that. No church will ever buy into it. And he did this all before we knew if we would ever actually have the chance to do this shared pastoral ministry thing in a church. So when I saw that our passage from Mark for today included that famous phrase that is the title of his dissertation, Two by Two, I pulled that hardbound copy of the compilation of his work off the shelf to take a look. It was covered in dust. Clearly, he doesn't go back and read it often. But I, had, I was struck by the dedication page. I had forgotten. Short, simple, to the point. His work is dedicated, Amy. Two are better than one. I really thought that would get an aww. <laughs> That two are better than one is not from the Gospels at all, but from the preacher of Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This was a read at our wedding. All those years ago, having no idea that we would end up pastoring a church together, that threefold cord, two plus God, makes a partnership that is sturdy. But as sweet as this is, it's not about marriage. And it's not about partnerships of just twos, I don't think. Mark's Jesus offers us a symbolic passage that is so much bigger than just that. 
This is how Jesus intended to spread his message. He shared his power. He had been healing and casting out demons and raising people from the dead. And then he gave the disciples those exact same powers so that they could join the movement. And I'm here to tell you this morning that we have been given those exact same powers. Yes, really. John's gospel will say this this way. You have the, Jesus says to the disciples, you have the power to do what I've been doing and even greater things will you do. We hold the power for healing. We hold the power when darkness lurks. We hold the power to shed light. People are dying. We hold the power to bring life. Let us not get so stuck in literal readings and understandings. Think creatively. Think allegorically. Think metaphorically. Think symbolically. Think. Perhaps the healing looks like a casserole. There is the theology of the casserole that should not be underrated. Perhaps light is a prayer shawl. Perhaps living looks like a moment of laughter when there doesn't seem to be anything to smile about. And Jesus gives very specific instructions for this movement. We do love to be prepared, don't we? We make our packing list when we're going to take a trip. We check them twice we think through and prepare so that we have everything we could possibly need. And then we make sure we have enough credit cards in our wallet should we need to purchase anything that we forget. And hotels have gotten in on the campaign to help us with our preparedness. Shampoo and toothpaste at your ready. Even a toothbrush if you forget your own. And hair dryers too. I can forget most of what I need and it will be supplied for me. And Jesus instructs his disciples to take nothing with them. Except he does allow for the travel, a staff and a pair of sandals. Let's face it, I would not have made a very good disciple. I can't travel anywhere with just one pair of shoes. But they are to be dependent upon the hospitality of others. Which does make me wonder about my own hospitality sometimes, but that's another sermon. He sent them out two by two with just the bare necessities, but he prepares them with perhaps what they will need the most. He prepares them with how to handle rejection. Remember, he understood this better than any. Just last week, he was rejected in his own hometown. The folks that had fed him and changed his diapers, 
the people that had been his babysitters, the ones that had watched him play with his friends, the people that corrected him when he needed it and kept him safe, the folks that had helped to look for him when he got lost when he was 12, the ones that had endured those terrible teenage years of smart mouths. We don't think of him in those terms, do we? But those were the people, the very ones that would reject him when he came back to town with his people and began to do his work. They were the ones that would reject him and leave him essentially powerless in his own old stomping grounds. So he knew that part of what he had to do to prepare them for this mission work was to prepare them for rejection. Shake off the dust that is on your feet, it's perhaps the hardest thing for us to do. We don't move on easily. We hold grudges and we carry resentment. We can't let it go. Our memory is long when it comes to rejection. We all have this dust that accumulates over our feet over the course of living our lives. We want to be accepted and loved and welcomed. We want affirmation and we seek approval. But this isn't about being in the in crowd or being popular. Remember, these disciples had been sent out with the power of Jesus for healing and casting out demons and bringing people back to life. And Jesus said, if you are rejected for healing people and casting out demons and bringing people back to life, then you have every right to shake the dust right off your shoes and keep on going. Here's what's interesting. Our peace-loving, kind, gentle, meek, and mild Jesus that we often portray him to be said something a little different than I think we hear when we hear this whole shaking the dust off your feet thing. Three different commentaries describe what that phrase would have meant in the ancient world. One commentary says that shaking the dust off your feet meant a formal disavowal of fellowship that served as a warning. Another commentary said that shaking the dust off your feet was a witness against that person or that household or something akin to a shunning. And then the strongest language came from the New Interpreter's Bible when the commentator said that shaking the dust from one's feet was the same as a gesture of cursing a place. Where's that meek and mild, gentle Jesus? Let us be clear. Jesus was not saying to lick your wounds, hang your head, tuck your tail, and try again. When someone did not offer hospitality to his followers, when someone could not accept the power that they held for healing, when someone couldn't hear the message, the response of the disciples was to make a bold statement against them for being inhospitable. 
And this shunning or this cursing would have been known by the neighbors. It wasn't hush-hush. Shaking off the dust was a marking of sorts. If they had had a welcome mat at their front door when the disciples arrived and they were not treated with hospitality, then the doormat would have needed to be removed. If your doormat says welcome, but you are not welcoming, you are a liar. And Jesus gives these people the power to name that boldly out loud. Those places that did not show hospitality would now be known and marked as inhospitable. Now we may be inclined to think that this is just an ancient day scenario, that in the good old Bible Belt, no one is rejected for their Christian witness in the 21st century. And if you think that, you would be wrong. Russ's latest blog is due to be posted this afternoon. It will likely prove my point. He has written about the current issue facing our local government about the non-discrimination proposal due to be discussed at Charlotte City Council tomorrow night. Russ and I have signed on to a letter along with many other area clergy. It's a letter saying essentially what we've said as a church. All are welcome with no rights denied. It's a complex issue. Our world is changing faster than we can keep up, but denying basic human rights to some whom we deem as too different is not the Jesus way. There will be many that will not agree with us, some that will outright reject us, Most of them, I'm guessing, will all be Christians. It's an irony, isn't it? But we believe this is the right thing to do, to put our names down as clergy in this city who believe that everyone deserves to be treated equally, fairly, and with respect, no matter their race, their religion, their gender, or their sexual orientation, or how they choose to live out their gender identification. This is not about bathrooms and cross-dressers. Don't let the headlines fool you. Read carefully and thoroughly, and don't be put off by the catchy, above-the-fold, tantalizing headlines that you will read. And I know that as soon as we put our name on this, we will be rejected by some. It's happened before. It will happen again. A voicemail, an email, an anonymous letter, maybe even a protester. And we will be faced with what does it mean to shake the dust off our feet when we believe that we are showing hospitality. And for the people who will not welcome that level of hospitality, what does that mean? It's like a curse on them? Come on, Jesus. I thought you were teaching us about being a people of blessing, not a people of curses. I've got more work to do on that discovery this week, I'll tell you. But there are so many Christians that I want to distance myself from. 
I want to put out the word that some of the things that Christians spew in the name of Christ are some of the most inhospitable words I've ever heard anyone say anywhere. And sometimes I don't even want to be known by the same name. Surely, this is why Jesus sent them out together. It's too hard and it's too complicated and it's too dangerous to go it alone. He told them to travel lightly because we don't have time for our baggage and we've all got baggage. He told them that whole shake the dust off thing in order to say to them, be bold. Be bold in your convictions and don't be ashamed to let people know. Be bold. Tell the truth. Point out, he said, and flag, mark people that are inhospitable so that everyone around will know they are not welcoming. Boy, this is a weird Jesus message. I think he told this to the disciples. He gave them these strict instructions in order to say, stick together. Don't go it alone. I'm sure we don't walk in lockstep on this just because we sit in this room together and call ourselves church. We don't have to. But I think he told this to his disciples and to us to say, stick together, don't go it alone. It is true. Two are better than one. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.